Welcome to Mountain Grace, the weekly sermon from me, John White, priest at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Camillus, New York. This week we're celebrating the end of ordinary time, the feast of Christ the King. reading from the letter to the Colossians. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. The Word of the Lord. Please be seated. Today is the last Sunday of the season after Pentecost that we call Ordinary Time. We don't call it Ordinary Time because it's, you know, plain vanilla, but because it's ordered. There's a number for every Sunday. This is 29, by the way. Anyway, so the church calendar, as you probably know, and I know I've mentioned it before, is kind of divided in two parts Next Sunday is the beginning of Advent, which is sort of the Christian New Year. And from Advent until the day of Pentecost, the church is invited to to walk with the disciples and experience Jesus as they experienced him. We start with Advent in the season of anticipation of his arrival. But in the season after Pentecost, which we have been in for the last six months, is the time when the church is invited to contemplate what their experience of Jesus means for their lives today. In ordinary time, we we think about who is Jesus for us and how does that shape my life? 
And so we come to today, which is the last day of the season, as I mentioned, which we call Christ the King Sunday. And the images of Christ the King, usually if you, if you Google them or you know, find a picture at a Roman Catholic church or something, Christ the King is usually depicted with, with a crown and a scepter denoting his kingly office and royal robes, rich robes, and sometimes even a globe to sort of represent his rule over the whole world. And he's usually surrounded by the angels who pay him homage as king of heaven. This great, glorious image of Christ the king. And yet in our readings today, we don't get the story of, of throngs of the heavenly host. We get the story of the man, Jesus, stripped of everything, tortured and crucified on the cross in the moments, the hours just preceding his death. And in the juxtaposition of these images, I think, lies something really important about the lordship of Christ. It's, it's about the difference between power and authority. For the most part, our world works on power, right? The imposition of power. And when we talk about the titles of Jesus, right? King of kings, prince of princes, lord of lords, um, prince of peace. It's important to remember what a radical and subversive set of titles that is because those were the titles claimed by the Roman emperor. And so when the early church said that Jesus was these things, not the emperor, it was all about this imposition of authority and power. Now, we all know how power works because we experience it. We use it all the time, right? And power can be positive and it can be negative, right? If you have children and you want them to do something, like empty the dishwasher for heaven's sakes, you can offer a positive application of power, a positive reinforcement. And you can say, if you empty the dishwasher every day at the end of the week, I will give you $5, right? And we've all, they've gone up since your day. Um, <laughs> kids don't work for quarters anymore, let me tell you. Um, but, and, and we see that, right? We've, we've all, we all experience that. There are systems of positive reinforcement that work throughout our lives, right? There are lots of things. If, if you give to charity, you get a tax deduction, right? So there's this positive reinforcement. And we've encouraged that in, in our work, right? If we are salesman of the month, maybe we'll get a bonus. Or if we get really good customer um, uh, service scores, there's some sort of reward, right? So we all have experienced the positive applications of power. At the same time, power can also be applied negatively, you could say to your child, if you don't start whining right now, you're going to have to go stand in the corner, right? We all know about that sort of negative. The, the state has a system that says you should drive this fast to be safe. And if you don't, you run the risk of being pulled over and given a ticket. And in New York State, if you get a ticket, not only do you have to pay the fine, there's a surcharge, which is more than the ticket. And if you get more than two tickets in 18 months, you've got to pay another surcharge to the state. I know this from personal experience. <laughs> it's a very unfair system. But, 
It's a great example of the application of a negative reinforcement, right? And the thing about power is whether it's negative or whether it's positive, it's always about something imposing its will on something else, right? I am imposing my will on my child. Our boss is imposing his will on me. The bishop is imposing her will on me. That happens way more than I would like, usually for positive things. But nonetheless, Right? We are all subject to having others' views imposed upon us. And we follow them or not to get the positive or to suffer the negative. Right? That is sort of how the world works. And so it's not surprising that for many people, they think that surely that must be how God works as well. In fact, I would say this is the fundamental misunderstanding of the ancient Israelites in assuming that God works the same way. And yet, when we look at Jesus, who is, in fact, God incarnate, the very being of God in a man, and we see how Jesus walks through the world, we would be hard-pressed to find an example of Jesus' imposition of his will on anyone. Jesus never forces someone to do something, either positively or negatively. Jesus always offers an invitation. Here is something magnificent that you can partake of, that can be yours. It is up to you to make that choice. What I would say is that what Jesus is doing, he is not relying on the imposition of power to bring about some golden heavenly age, but Jesus is showing forth the authority of God's love over the world and inviting us to participate in it. Right? That what Jesus does is offers up something like hope, something like the possibility that things could be different, of change, that we could be better people, that we can live in a better, more just society. Fundamentally, that if we could all just welcome God's authority in our lives and live that way, the heavenly kingdom arises in our midst. That this invitation that Jesus offers us is also an invitation to ignore the inducements of power, right? Because what Jesus has come to do is to overthrow the ruler of this world. And I got news, that wasn't God. It was the other guy, right? And so Jesus comes to overthrow the power, overthrow the power of evil in our lives, the evil of the imposition of power, because we all know that power, though usually exercised with love and care and desire for the best, can also be twisted to be oppressive, to be evil. And so what Jesus says is that if you want to participate in the systems of power in this world, you are not participating in the kingdom of God. Which is why the disciples are all really bummed out that Jesus is not leading a revolution. That's also why they expect him to lead a revolution, because they think that Jesus is operating in the paradigm of power, and Jesus is here to tell us that doesn't how it works. 
that the kingdom of God doesn't rest on making you do things, but on inviting you to be the best people you can be, to be the people you were created to be by your loving God. And so God puts up with an awful lot from us. And yet God continues to extend that invitation into every life and every generation and every place to submit ourselves to the authority of God and welling up from within us, not because it's what someone else wants for us, but because it comes from our deepest selves to be the people we were created to be and to not let the power of the world stand in the way of our loving response to what we encounter. And so on this Christ the King Sunday, as we, as we leave this, this period of thinking about what God means for us in our lives, we are left with this image, this image of the king and yet the man on the cross. And I think if we can root ourselves at Jesus' feet on the cross, we can be humble enough to forego the pleasures of power and to take on the responsibility of authority and be God's people in the world. Amen.